I'll be reading from James 2, 1 to 9. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. The word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It's been a great joy uh, going through the book of James, hasn't it? And uh, we've finished the first chapter. So that's exciting. We're moving into chapter 2 here this morning. And uh, something that's fun about preaching verse by verse or section by section through the Bible is you don't get to leave anything out. Uh, We can't get to one part in James and say, oh, we don't really want to talk about this. It might make people feel uncomfortable. Um, We can't just skip it. So we talk about it. The other joy about that is I can't get up here and uh, thinking of certain individuals preach a message very pointedly. Rather, we're just preaching what's in the text. And this morning as we talk about discrimination and favoritism, uh, you know, we live in a a culture and a time and a day and age where uh, these types of things are quite rampant. And uh, we want to talk about that this morning, but I do that not um, thinking of TCC as a church that I see as one that's discriminating or showing favorites all the time. Rather, we want to get to what James is saying and see what he has to say to us. In preparing for this, it got me thinking a lot about uh, my time at Camp Caroline I grew up going to Camp Caroline almost every summer, and uh, after I graduated high school, I I kept going to Camp Caroline as a staff member. And when I was a camper, my favorite part of being at camp was the wide games. Do you guys remember wide games, those of you who went to camp? Wide games was this this fun thing where suddenly the, the entire camp became your playing field. And you played, whether it was capture the flag or whatever else it was, uh, these games were a lot of fun. They were the types of games you couldn't play other places. And when I was a camper, my favorite part of wide games was trying to beat the camp staff. I would try to outrun them, I'd try to dodge around them, and I'd try to score as many points as I could or catch the flag, whatever it was. And then when I became a counselor at camp, my favorite part of the wide games was defeating the campers. You know, I I loved to outrun them and tag them and keep them from scoring. And it was like, yeah, I did it. But I remember one night watching this one camper who every time he went to bring a flag back across the line, he would get caught. He'd get tagged. He'd get beaten down. He couldn't score any points. And you could see on his face and his countenance this discouragement and frustration. And so I I went to him. He was on my team. I said, hey, let's do this together. So him and I ran... We got a treasure, and I did everything I could. I remember holding staff back and keeping, I'm like, let him go, let him go. And this kid made it across the line, and his face lit up. He scored a point. And after that, my favorite part of wide games changed. And I took every opportunity I could to find the kids who were at camp who maybe weren't as athletic or 
the kind who would maybe were tended to be picked last when it came to making teams. And I worked hard to make sure that the camp was a place where they experienced these victories. That camp was a place where they were scoring points. I wanted camp to be a place for them where the playing field was level. That the disadvantages that they usually experienced back at home weren't present because there were people on their side helping them to succeed. And I think about that level playing field. That Man, isn't that how our church should be? That people coming in to worship on a Sunday morning are walking into a level playing field? That they're coming from workplaces and environments where maybe succeeding is difficult. They're coming from workplaces and environments where maybe they're looked over. Maybe they're ignored. Maybe they have trouble finding friends. Maybe, maybe they're, they're pushed to the side over and over again, overlooked. But then they come to church. It should be this level playing field. A community of people who aren't playing favorites. You know, when it comes to building relationships with people, I have to admit that I'm much better at this at camp than I am in my day-to-day life. And I'm sad to admit that so often favoritism and, and wanting to pick the best players for my team creeps into my own heart, my own actions. That I can be someone who's preferential and choosing some people over another. You know, we live in a world and a culture where the playing field really isn't level. It's more reflective of a schoolyard where all the kids line up and you have two captains and they're picking teams. Do you guys remember that? And as a little kid, you're standing there just praying you don't get picked last. You're praying you won't be humiliated. You're praying that someone will see you and notice you and choose you. But in our society, that's kind of what happens day in and day out. We're playing favorites. In any social setting we find ourselves in, we face the opportunity to play favorites. To act one way towards some people and one way towards another. Favoring some while giving others little or no attention. You know, Jesus said these profound words in the Gospel of Matthew. And and in Matthew chapter 20, the, the setting of this is... Peter's mom comes to Jesus and she says, Hey Jesus, I I really want my son to sit at your right hand. I want him to be successful. I want him to be glorious. I want him to be great. So can you do that for him? And what happens is some of the other disciples hear about this conversation and, and they get kind of frustrated that this conversation was taking place. And we pick this up in verse 24. It says, When the ten disciples heard about this, they were indignant. With the two brothers. And Jesus called them together and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. These words, not so with you. Jesus is identifying that, hey, we live in a culture where Pushing others out of the way to get to the top, that's the norm. I understand that. But disciples, it shouldn't be that way among you. That shouldn't be your attitude. That shouldn't be your behavior. And I believe that this is the principle that James is addressing in our text today. Last week, Pastor Ken showed us how James is a great preacher and how uh, James, he, he gives us a command. He follows the command with an illustration and then he moves to an application. We have the exact same layout 
uh, in this passage this morning. So James starts with this command. Don't play favorites in your faith. Don't play favorites in your faith. Chapter 2, verse 1. James begins by saying, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. James connects our faith with how we relate with others. He's saying that if we're people who trust in Jesus, if we're people who've put our faith in Jesus, then our actions need to be ones that we're not showing favorites. We're not playing favorites. We're not choosing people over others just because um, of the way that it can benefit us. In other translations, uh, the instruction reads like this. Show no partiality. The verb to show partiality literally means to lift up a face or the acceptance of a face. It's, it's kind of a funny thing to think about. It. It's like saying, you, I, I like your face. You, I don't like your face. You, I like your face. You, I don't like your face. Have you guys ever heard of the, the app Tinder? Anyone familiar with Tinder? I've never used Tinder. I've been married way longer than Tinder's been around. Um, but Tinder is this, this dating app. And what you do is you, you connect it to your Facebook account and you, you go on your Tinder. And Tinder uses algorithms to figure out people that you'll probably like hanging out with and people you probably want to be in a romantic relationship with. And the way that Tinder works is that it'll show you a picture of someone and then all you have to do is take your thumb and you can swipe right if you like what you see, if you like their face, or you can swipe left if you don't like it. Um, and then eventually if you swipe right on someone and someone swipes right on you, it's like, it's a match, hooray. Um, <laughs> but Tinder is like, it's an app of partiality. <laughs> and um, there's nothing against dating apps and if, if you've used Tinder and you're you, you, and it's worked for you, that's great. But um, the problem is that we play with this Tinder app all the time in our culture. We walk into a social setting and we're like, I, I like you, swipe right. I don't like you, swipe left. I like you, swipe right. I don't like you, swipe left. It sounds so silly, but friends, we, we do this, don't we? And James is saying that there's a huge inconsistency in acting that way towards people and being a follower of Jesus. That followers of Jesus aren't people who have a Tinder app approach when it comes to meeting new people. This principle is demonstrated us for us throughout Scripture. If we go back to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 10, we read this amazing declaration about who God is. It says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome it's like, oh yeah, that's our God. That, oh. And you go on. He shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the alien, that is the foreigner, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. God does not show partiality. And this was such a big deal to God that later on, when we get to the prophets, we read that Israel is becoming very guilty of showing partiality. Israel is very guilty of playing favorites. And there's this prophet named Amos who comes to Israel and he has some words to say to them. He says, hey Israel, you trample on the poor. You force him to give you grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. 
Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great are your sins. You oppress the righteous and take bribes. You deprive the poor of justice in the courts. What we read in Amos is a bit, we see God's heart and his frustration at his people for being people who are showing favoritism. So much so that the justice system was being corrupted. This was a problem. As we keep reading in the scriptures, we we realize that Jesus doesn't show favorites. Jesus didn't show partiality. In the Gospel of Luke, when we go on reading here, uh, we interact so much with the way that Jesus interacted with people. And Jesus, he's walking along one day and there's this tax collector named Levi or, or Matthew. And, and Levi, he, he's a tax collector, so the people of the day really don't like him because he steals from them. But what does Jesus say when he sees, when he sees, Math, when he sees Matthew? It says, Jesus went and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. And Jesus said, follow me. Jesus said to him, and Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples. He said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? It's this question, Jesus, why aren't you playing favorites? Why are you associating yourself with these types of people? That's the question. And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call, or not, I've come to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is saying, I'm not playing favorites. I'm not playing favorites. I'm not putting myself among people who are going to make me some greater teacher or something in the eyes of men. And as we go on to read in Luke, in Luke chapter 8, the, the writer of of Luke is, takes amazing care to point out that Jesus spent time and traveled with women who at that, in that day and age, that was a weird thing. We didn't, they didn't talk about women. They wouldn't have written about women in this way. But here we have Jesus saying, no, I, I don't play favorites. If you're familiar with the story of Jesus with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, it says that Jesus goes out of his way to walk through Samaria. And if you were a Jewish person in that day and age, you didn't go to Samaria. Sumerians were half-breeds. The Jewish people did not like Samaritans. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to go to Samaria. He gets to Samaria. What does he do? He interacts with a woman. Again, something that he shouldn't be doing. But Jesus wasn't about to place favorites. Friends, the, the message of the gospel, the gospel message is God saying to you and me that I want you in my company. That's what Jesus did. He went around to all these people, people that society wanted nothing to do with, and he said, hey, I want you in my company. I want you in my company. And that's why we can say the gospel is good news. You guys know what that, the word gospel, it means good news. It's like Jesus is saying good news to you who are oppressed. Good news to you who are forgotten by society. Good news to you who are overlooked because God wants you in his company. God wants you to be in relationship with him. It's good news. 
So God doesn't show partiality. Jesus doesn't show partiality. The church then also shouldn't show partiality. The church should not play favorites. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3 verse 28. I'm going to start at verse 26 actually. He writes to the Galatians. He says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves in Christ. He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Jesus is saying, you're all one. Paul, Paul writing to this church, you're all one. He says this again in Colossians chapter 3, almost the exact same words. And the church shouldn't be a place where we're showing partiality because we're all one in Christ Jesus. A theologian named Scott McKnight writes these amazing words about the church. He says that the church is God's world-changing social experiment of bringing unlikes and difference to the table to share life with one another as a new kind of family. When this happens, we show the world what love, justice, peace, reconciliation, and life together are designed by God to be. The church is God's show and tell for the world to see how God wants us to live as a family. This isn't a place where we play favorites. You know, you look around this room. Are you guys different? Yeah, we're different. Are we unlike one another? Yeah, we're unlike one another, but we are one in Jesus. We are one in Jesus. And that bond that we share in Jesus Christ should so unite us that we have no desire to play favorites. Where else do we see so many different demographics come together? People of different ages, different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds coming together and saying, We are one. We are one. And that is the church. But in our text this morning, James highlights a problem. And here's his example of the rich and poor. And James calls out and and convicts his church. He says, you know what, you guys, you're discriminating. James calls out their discrimination. Reading this example doesn't leave much to our imagination, but I appreciate Eugene Peterson bringing it into a bit more of a modern light Where he writes, if a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit and a street person wearing rags comes in right after him and you say to the man in the suit, sit here, sir. This is the best seat in the house. And either ignore the street person or say, you better sit in the back row. Haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you are judges who can't be trusted? Whoa. What a picture. You know, the topic of discrimination and racism has been in the media a lot lately. We're often hearing on the news about all these different things happening. Things like the Me Too movement. Discrimination between men and women. Black Lives Matter coming out of the United States. In Canada, you can turn on the news and and hear about discrimination in our own country. Reports this fall, this fall, of young refugees who are facing racism in their schools. Indigenous students in a school in Winnipeg were quoted as saying, we shouldn't be forced to move to certain areas of the classroom. That's our culture today. 
The news out of the United States is continually highlighting the problems of racism and discrimination. The recent shooting in Pittsburgh synagogue was fueled by hate towards Jewish people. And as Christians, we hear this and we wonder, what are we supposed to do in these situations? And friends, this is where I believe James is teaching this morning and the words of Jesus from Matthew 20 ring out. It should not be so among you. It should not be so among you. This discrimination, this hate, this segregation should not be so among you. James goes on in verse 4. He says, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James is saying here that, man, discrimination is a slippery slope. What do I mean by that? Well, I don't think any of us want to be evil judges. (laughs) Do you want to be evil judges? (laughs) I don't think that James's audience was full of people who set out one morning to be an evil judge. But what James is highlighting is that, hey, when you're showing preferential treatment towards one group of people in a hope that it's somehow going to better your life, that's a problem. That's a slippery slope. See, what, what's going on here in, the, in, this, in this account that James is talking about is that there's people in the church who are desiring to somehow advance their own agenda. And they're like, man, if I treat so-and-so really well, he might treat me really well. You know, if I get in good with this group of people, then my life is going to look a whole lot better. If I work in this way with this person, then that's going to help me out. The problem is, on the other side, the same evil thoughts are saying, if I associate myself with that guy, then my friends over here aren't going to like me. If I associate with that guy, it's going to slow down my agenda. James is saying this is a problem. He's saying it makes us evil judges. He goes on in verse 5 to say, Listen, dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? He said, But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are, not the ones, are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him in whom you belong? Here, James is basically saying, in God's kingdom, in our church, discrimination doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. You know, you you read this passage and and James is like, hey guys, wait a minute. The way that you're treating these people, it doesn't make sense because these are the people who aren't treating you very good. What's going on with that? James is confused about this behavior. So why are they favoring them? You know, do you, those of you who have kids, do your, do your children ever pick on one another? Um, man, if, if I wanted to get an earful from my mom, I just had to call my brother and my sister a name. And I could do a lot of bad things. I, I remember getting disciplined when I was a kid. And, but I have this clear memory, one of those like the fear of mom. You know what I mean? The fear, like, <laughs> the fear of God was put into me by my mother. When, when I, I think I, I, I called my brother a name. And my mom was like, boom, like what are you doing? And she looked at me and she said, you three kids get teased enough at school. Don't you dare tease one another. You three kids get teased enough in school. Don't you dare tease one another. 
This is the thing. It doesn't make sense. If we look around this room and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And our brothers and sisters in Christ are getting treated poorly in the world. When we come together, should this not be the most glorious fellowship? Should this not be the place where we feel at home, where we feel loved, where we feel safe? These verses call us to examine our hearts and to seek God's perspective. We need to examine our hearts because, again, I don't think it's our intention to be evil judges. It's, it's not our intention um, to work in this way, to, to be someone who plays favorites. But we need to slow down and say, am I, am I doing that? Are there people in this congregation that I kind of avoid? Are there people in this congregation that make me uncomfortable so I don't go near them? We've got to examine our hearts. And then we seek God's perspective. It's a prayer that says, God, help me to see others the way that you see them. Lord, help me to look on those who sit in this congregation with me. Help me to see them with your eyes. God, give me a love for them, that you, the same love that you have for them. James moves now into the application. He says, don't play favorites in your actions. This application is incredibly, incredibly simple. Love your neighbor as yourself. The golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat others as you would like to be treated. We teach this to our children, don't we? Because it's, it's so simple and it's so obvious. But for some reason we're all so bad at it. <laughs> It's so simple, it's so obvious, but we are so often so bad about it. Because here's the thing about love, right? You know, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, I get that cognitively, but, but here's the thing about love. Love is a great idea. It's a great idea until the one that you are called to love happens to be unlike you. Love is a great idea until you, you come to realize who your neighbors actually are. And you see faults in them and you're like, eh, maybe they aren't such a good person. Love is a great idea until you feel betrayed. But friends, again, here comes the gospel message. That God in his love for humanity went to a people that were unlike him. God is holy. The word holy means set apart. God was, is high above, set apart from us. We are unlike him. Created in his image, yes, but unlike him. And he said, no, I, I want you in my company. I want to be with you. And you talk about getting to know your neighbors and seeing things you don't like. Man, God knows our every thought, our, our every little sin, our every little time where we, we misstep those secret thoughts of anger and hate towards others, the frustrations we can feel in, in our lives, all that that's inside of us, God sees all of it. And he comes to us and he says, I want you in my company. I, yeah, I see your faults, but I still want you in my company. Love's a great idea until we're betrayed. Man, was God betrayed? Was Jesus betrayed? The Old Testament is this, is this long story of this people that God kept pursuing and over and over and over again they rejected him they betrayed him they pushed him away and God said I still want you in my company it's good news friends 
It's good news. So I want to suggest that it's not so much that we love, love others the way that we want to be loved. Friends, I think we need to love one another as we have been loved by God. We need to love one another with the same love that God's lavished on us. Because, yeah, there's going to be people who are unlike us. There's going to be people that we see exposed. There's going to be people who are going to betray us. We need to keep loving. So how do we do this? Well, I think it begins by loving with God's love. God's love is, is one that forgives others. And for some of us, there's people that we need to forgive. Now, forgiveness is not saying that what someone did was all right, it's okay, and, you know, it's, I forgive them, it's done. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't saying that what someone did was okay. Forgiveness is taking them off your hook, your, your judgment, your frustrations, and, and putting it on God. You know, I've often heard that unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and hoping the other person dies. Because unforgiveness is, just messes with us on the inside. But we love with God's love when we choose to forgive those who've hurt us. Loving with God's love is extending His love with compassion and empathy. It's moving towards others in grace. Loving with God's love is choosing to see people that maybe the world doesn't want to see. Now, when I read the Gospels, it just blows my mind that Jesus took so much time with people. He took so much time with the outcasts. He took so much time with the people that others maybe didn't want to be friends with. And that's where we find Jesus. Taking time with these people, listening to these people, fellowshipping with them, eating with them. And the whole time, this culture is looking at him saying, Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, what are you doing? He says, no, no, I, I want them in my company. And friends, in all of this, love involves risk. Love involves risk. How many of you like the, the shake hand time at church? <laughs> we have to like say hello to all these people. I hate that time. That's like my least favorite time at church. Um, <laughs> we went to a church in Calgary that the greet time was like five minutes. And I would like, I'm like, I got to go to the washroom. And uh, <laughs> Because if you're like me, you've been hurt from relationships. And when we reach out in love to other people, whether they're like us or not, there's always risk involved. We risk disappointment. We risk rejection. We risk humiliation. Sometimes we need to reach out to love and we're risking our own reputation because it is that person that no one wants to be around and but friends, in that risk, there is great, great potential for blessing. Great potential for blessing. I guarantee you, if, if, if you're feeling lonely in your life, there's other people in this room who are feeling lonely. There's people in this room looking for friendship. Looking for a community that they can call home and, and find a place. But if we aren't willing to take that risk and reach out our hand and say, Hi, I'm Adam. Tell me about yourself. Those relationships will never be formed. And we do a disservice. So there's risk that we need to take inside this wall, inside these walls, as a church. Risking with one another. 
looking at people who maybe are a little unlike us, people maybe we wouldn't normally hang out with, and, and go and, and be their friend. We also need to, need to take risks outside of these walls. In your sphere of influence, your places of work, in your homes, where can you risk love, step out of your comfort zone, and bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you're bringing them the, 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 the spiritual laws or something like that. It's not about that. It's, it's taking this truth and reality of the gospel where God wants you in his company, and it's going to people that others don't want anything to do with, and saying to them, I want you in my company because God wanted me in his company. And it's worth the risk to me. Friends, that's gospel proclamation. So many of us think that the gospel is about walking up to people and saying, Hey, do you know that Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life and salvation from sins and eternity when you die? That's all well and good, but gospel proclamation begins with us crossing barriers to people who are rejected and oppressed and left on the margins of life. Because that's what Jesus did. And it's us risking and going to them and saying, Guys, Jesus risked a lot for me. I'm going to risk something for you. Jesus worked healing in my life. He brought love and acceptance to me. I'm bringing love and acceptance to you. It's finding those people that others don't want to hang out with and sitting with them, spending time with them. So friends, don't let our church be a place where we play favorites. And think beyond this, these walls. Don't let your areas of influence be a place where you're playing favorites. Put effort and prayer into finding ways where you can level the playing field. And bring the love of God and the grace of God, the beauty of God, the message of the gospel to places that, that just don't have it. Be a testimony. Let our love and grace for one another be a testimony to this world of God's love and grace. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you for your gospel message. Lord, we praise you for the good news that that Christ has come to each and every one of us, Lord, and that that is the joy that we are about to celebrate in this Christmas season that's ahead of us. Emmanuel, Christ with us, God coming to us and saying, I want you in my company. And Father God, there there are so many people sitting in this room, Lord, and there's so many people represented by those sitting in this room who are maybe finding that this society and this world maybe doesn't have a place for them. But Jesus, your love and your grace, it reaches beyond our social structures, our divisiveness, our discrimination. And so Jesus, I pray that you would help us, each one of us in this room, to be those who herald that gospel message. Lord, that we would reach across those barriers and be people who bring your love and your grace to every situation and every relationship we find ourselves in. But Jesus, we need your spirit to do that. So God, bless us this morning with your spirit that we might love all people, all people. God, that we might love all people with all of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.